Know then that it is the year 10,191. The known universe is ruled by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, my father. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a podcast where we find somebody hasn't seen a movie before and we discuss that movie. Um, Joining me this week, I have David. Hello from the old guard. Uh, I have Christina. Hi, hi. And Keith. Back again. Yep. Uh, So this week, um, the movie that came up was the 1984 David Lynch film, Dune. Uh, Let's see. I've seen that movie before. Um, Keith, you said you'd seen it, right? Actually, I have, yeah. Okay. Uh, Christina, you've seen this movie. Many times. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, David, you haven't. Uh, actually, I have. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, see, I, you got to be like I that, don't not. you? I had not seen this film. Um, so, one thing I will say, I've seen this movie before. I know I have, but it felt like I was watching it for the first time. I don't know if it's because it's been so long since I've seen it. Or because I've more recently watched the um, mid two thousands or early two thousands miniseries from Sci Fi, but it parts of this felt completely foreign to me, which was weird because I know I've seen this movie before. But um, having said that, is nineteen eighty four a uh, very ambitious project um, to make Dune a film in general? Uh, but uh, they brought David Lynch in, and um, it was. A movie. Um, I I like the movie. I think it's good in a lot of respects, but there's a lot uh, that there's a lot that I don't think worked very well. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. So, David, seeing it for the first time, um, what did you think of the story? Have you have you ever read the book? No. No. Okay. Um, so, what did you think of it as a story? I think it was one of those things that could have easily been uh, a really interesting story that was just presented in a strange way. Well, I, I think it, I think it could have been a really interesting story with a lot of cool facets. And I think it may have worked well as a mini series, which looking back on it, I, I knew I had seen something to do with doom. And I think I watched the mini series or at least a couple episodes of it. Well, at was, some point it was two episodes long uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later because um, I do have a lot of thoughts there but uh, it's interesting that you bring up though that it would have worked as a miniseries because I thought that throughout the whole thing is like I say when it's when I say this was an ambitious project so the book came out in 1965 okay so it was 19 years later they were making this movie and the book uh, I haven't read it in probably 20 years but it is there's a lot of story in there and it's going to be hard to fit that into a miniseries, let alone a two-hour-plus movie, which this was about 2.15. Now, Christina, you mentioned when we were talking about doing this movie that there's the three-and-a-half-hour cut. It's a three-hour cut. Um, okay. It goes a little over with uh, the because they split it, and then there was extra credits at part A and part B, so it goes a little over three hours with that. But uh, unobstructed, without the extra stuff, it's just, I think, just shy, like two minutes shy of three hours. Um, but basically what they did is, um, explaining about this is they had added more footage in for the TV cut of it, um, Mm. that turned it into the three hours. Um, they also took things out. So that's why I'm thinking when you said you saw some things that you don't remember, you maybe saw originally the, the movie cut, um, because things were taken out and put in for that movie for the TV cut versus the theatrical cut. That's entirely possible. That's entirely possible that what I saw was the TV, the TV edit of it. Um, yeah, I just there's so much world to this story, and they tried to they did. I think that this movie did a good job of of placing you in the world of Dune, in the world of Arrakis, and the political intrigue that was going on for the story. But I think there was just so much story that they really needed to trim a lot of fat because there were parts of this movie where it's like, oh, okay, so I don't know where that came from. Uh, you know, when he gets his um, his name from the Fremens, the um, mm-hmm. Maudib, like he brings up the mouse shadow on the moon. That 
Right. Was the Which first came time from his dream. Right, but that was the first time that was mentioned in the movie at all. Was there because the the pictures of the moon didn't really give that away. Like that was something that I remember from the Sci-Fi Channel series, them being able to do a lot better. Um, the the sense of how much time passed during this movie was odd to me because it felt like it felt like they had just gotten to Arrakis and then all of a sudden Harkonnens are coming and they're getting uh, they're getting sabotaged and all of that. But then when you think about it, there was a lot of like intercut scenes that my guess is was supposed to have taken place over a period of time. Um, it was so I, months. Yeah. But it didn't, it just seemed like that was a little bit rushed to me. I, there was just stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, there was what, two years worth of uh, him fighting and blowing up stuff when, after the Harkonnens take over the planet is glossed over in like a 30 second montage. Yeah. It's closer but to about four to five say... years. Right. Well, they stay in it two years during that montage, but you're right. It's supposed to be several years. Like that's And that's kind of what I mean, where this is almost not really a book to turn into a single movie. It's It almost has to be a series of movies or a miniseries or some sort of episodic thing where you can break that story up and be able to dive into it. Because I think the world is pretty fascinating. The idea well, that's where the extended version came in, the, the TV cut, because it did that. It gave you that extra exposition, the better explanation at the beginning. Um, because at, at the beginning of this, it just gives you a short rundown for the narrator. But in the extended version, it's about 20 minutes of narration getting you started. Well, that sounds fascinating to have 20 minutes of narration. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, it. You, you see other footage explaining everything that explains about the the machine wars and uh, the more about the mentats and how they came to be, etc. It explains more to give you a better understanding of what's happening. And that that's good. I just think that I think that this is a world that deserves to build itself uh, over more time than what a single theatrical release can do. Um, agreed. Also agreed. And I think personally, I don't have a I I I have watched David Lynch work in the past. I've enjoyed it. It's weird. I mean, the guys out there where the buses don't run on some of his stuff, like he, you know, Eraserhead and uh Blue Velvet and Lost Highway, like they're weird movies. I don't think he was a great fit for this material. Having said that, he did some stuff in this made some choices that I thought were very interesting from a movie perspective. Um, I, for instance, kind of liked the sort of inner outer dialogue where somebody would be speaking and then you'd get their inner dialogue almost back to back. And you could, A, you could tell everything had been ADR'd. Everything was looped. So none of the voices were what they were doing on set. But there was no, I liked that idea of, playing because the book has a lot of that if i remember right a lot of inner dialogue and you get a lot of that in this but because all the voices were recorded exactly the same it can be a little jarring if you're you know you glance away or you're not paying attention for a second because you don't know if they said something out loud or if it was in their head (laughs) and then there are times when it seems like somebody can read another person's thoughts Right, there were there's telepathic people, so there are people that can read other people's thoughts, but then you don't know, okay, are they reading their thoughts right there or are they not? Because they don't really give that away. In any and they way. also don't really explain very well who was able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's sort of They're just like, oh, this kid and his mom can. Basically, uh, wait, those the kid can generate line. Yeah. But yeah, it's just there were there were things that uh, I thought worked really well and I I like the concept of that. I think the execution of it was a little bit bad. I think some of the dream sequence stuff was kind of cool and very Lynchian in, in a lot of ways, but I think that uh, there were ways that that could have been done better too. Um, I just, I'm not sure that I would have picked David Lynch to direct the adaptation because he wrote and directed the adaptation of Dune. Um, and it sounds like it was something he really wanted to do. Um, if he's going to go through the, the process of writing it. It just, I don't think he was the right choice. I think he could have gone in a better direction than that. Um, having said that, I think what he turned out 
was actually better than it had any right to be, given the time that it was made. Because that's another thing is there are parts of this movie that aged extremely well. I think the costumes were great. Like the costuming in the entire movie, I think, was was really, really It was still believable, yeah. However, the shields... Well, that's just it. The visual effects, the stuff that needed oh, so that, good. <laughs> they they did not age very well. Both the shields, uh, personal and around the the building, the worms looked really cool, but you could tell that they were fairly limited on what they could do with those. Very um, obvious miniatures. Yeah, um, a lot of the the lightning effect and the uh, the whole sequence where the um, spice or the the space navigator is folding space. Um, Felt like it was very ambitious, but they just didn't quite have the technology to pull it off. Because remember, this movie came out... The person? Yeah. I mean, this movie came out the same year that Ghostbusters came out. And while they're very different movies, tonally, Ghostbusters still, I think, looks pretty decent today. And it's got cheesy effects and everything, and you can tell a lot of it's done by hand or done by puppet and miniature, but... It looks pretty good overall today. This did not look... It looks like something that was made 35 years ago. I believe part of that is that this movie takes itself very seriously where Ghostbusters, you kind of assume that it's going to come with a heaping, helping portion of corn. Oh, yes. No, I'm with you on that. Like I say, they're very different movies tonally. I just think that even with taking that into account... This didn't age nearly as well as that did. Maybe that's because Ghostbusters is a comedy, and co- and so you are more apt to lower expectations. Yeah, you as give far it a as, little more uh, production values. Yeah, but you know, having I, I think the sets were really interesting in this. Um, even if they did kind of all look the same, um, in, in some ways, I mean, everything was it was very dark. Um, everything was dark earth tones. You had a lot of blacks, a lot of tans. There wasn't a lot of other color. Um, which in some ways I think is a smart choice because you want like the blue of the Fremen's eyes to really stand out. So if everything else is very drab, um, which that was an effect I think actually looked good still was the way they did that blue over their eyes. Um, although I did notice one shot where uh, Paul Atreides has the blue eyes before he should have. And then the next shot he doesn't. I was like, oh, yeah. somebody missed that. <laughs> um, There's but, also the extended version where it, they mess up and flip them with, on, on some of the Fremen that are supposed to have them. They don't have. Yeah. Um, that was something, again, that the miniseries, I think, did a, a good job with. And that, you know, comes with being 15 to 20 years later and lots of advances in optical effects. Um, now, having said that, what did you guys think of the cast of this movie? Because it had actually a pretty impressive cast uh, of actors in it. I had a hard time taking the paul's character seriously because every time i look at him all i saw was eric foreman eric foreman from, from that 70s show I, really? can, I can see that it's not the same actor but i can see it's that not the same actor same but hair I, yeah uh, i guess i maybe it's because i know kyle mclaughlin enough uh, and i associate him with twin peaks so when i see him i think of twin peaks but i guess i can see what you're saying um yeah it was just it was kind of like wait hold on but okay, so we've got this son of a duke, and the duke is going to threaten to put his foot up his ass the entire movie? Maybe. <laughs> and that's, just, that's just what's going through my mind the whole time. Yeah, but I mean, the, the cast was definitely phenomenal. I don't think that they could have gotten anybody else that would have been better for their for the character. Including Patrick, Patrick Stewart has not aged a day. <laughs> nope. He really hasn't. And He was born old. You know, that's it's... My theory. It's funny because he looks basically the same now, uh, but he's barely in the movie. Sting is in it for a minute and a half, right? He's in like three scenes. Um, although, okay. One of them rather suggestive. Rather. Oh, when he came out with his uh, shiny metal underwear? Yeah. Yeah. Now That was a last minute addition because he was <laughs> supposed to come out nude. Here's a question for you. Uh, did any of you think that Sting in this movie sounded a lot like Jude Law? Because that every time he spoke, and it was only a couple of times, I just kept hearing Jude Law's voice for some reason, and I don't know why. Hmm. Um, apparently, I'm the only one, so that's. But well, I mean, I was the only one who saw Eric Foreman, so. 
you know, Sting was was a lot of, uh, was interesting. Um, the guy that plays Baron Harkonnen, uh, I don't know him from anything else off the top of my head, but um, he was, you know, definitely hamming it up. That's for sure. Um, As oh, yeah. a child, that makeup really freaked me out. Oof, man, it's still like it's just the the Harkonnens in general were just kind of gross. Like they were all sweaty all the time, and. And if I remember right, in the lore, that has something to do with the the planet. Geddes Prime is like really hot or something, so they keep they keep their ships and they keep their their buildings all like super warm. Um, if I remember that correctly, and I honestly, like I say, it's probably been twenty years since I read that book, so um, I could. Any of the Harkonnen stuff, there there's still a good measure of of darks and blacks, but you also get more colors too. You get a little bit more because they have some more red in there. And a lot of the... Uh, greens. Yeah, that's true. They had that whole scene in the room where it's green. Now, Virginia Madsen's in this, and again, she's sort of in it for like two minutes uh, as the princess. Um, Sean Young from Blade Runner uh, was in this, basically there to say the word Paul over and over. Because like 80% of her dialogue yeah. is Paul. <laughs> uh, this would have been just a couple years after Blade Runner, and I think before she went completely crazy. So... Um, and then we had Jurgen Jurgen Prochnow as Duke Leto. Uh, we just saw him a few weeks ago in um, in uh, in the Mouth of Madness, um, and I like him a lot. Uh, it was weird with him and his very strong German accent, who has a uh, a son who has no German accent whatsoever. Which but one was he? He was Duke Leto. He was. You'll Paul's, have to be more specific. He was Paul's, Paul's father. father, the guy with the beard. The, the, oh, the okay, all right, yeah. Um, and then you had Brad Dourif uh, as uh, Piter, um, and I, you might not remember who Richard <coughs> Jordan is. Uh, he was Duncan. He's only in like two scenes, but he was in The Hunt for Red October, uh, and I always remember him from that because he was one of the politicians. He was the guy that um, talks to Alec Baldwin and tells him, you know, I'm a politician, which means I'm a liar and I'm a cheat. And I just I loved him so much in that movie that every time I see his face, that's all I can think of. But I that think overall, movie. I think overall the cast was was pretty well put together. Um, you know, Kyle MacLachlan is your main is your main lead. I like him a lot. I think he was kind of playing the role almost as a um, in modern day it would have been Keanu Reeves, where he's sort of the blank everyman. Like he's you could put. You could interchange him with probably a lot of different actors um, to be that role. Um, I only recognized Patrick Stewart and Sting. That doesn't surprise me. At least he recognized Patrick Stewart. I should hope so. I I think if you don't, honestly, I'm lucky Patrick I recognize Sting. Be friends. <laughs> I'm honestly lucky I recognize Sting because I literally went, I saw him and I go, "Oh, that's a music guy," and <laughs> I had to think about it for a second because. The first name that went through my mind was Billy Idol. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, why not? Um, what did you think of... So I, I talked a little bit about costuming, but I thought the costuming is really good in this. Like, I I liked the, the kind of militaristic uniforms that, the, that they wore. Um, I liked the still suits. I thought those looked really cool. Uh, those are so cool. cool. Uh, yeah. I just... Every time I saw the skill suit, still suits... I just giggled because the female versions had boob armor, which I thought was pretty amusing. It's so unnecessary. It really is. And the Harkonnen um, troops and with their, I, it kind of looked like trash bags with a, a welding mask to me. But close. You know what I thought they looked like? I thought they looked like black versions of the Hazmat Squad from Monsters Inc. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you want to know what they were? They were oh, made were from they? body bags. Oh, so I was pretty close. So trash bags. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, <laughs> oh man, uh, but even some of like the the other costuming um, just was interesting to me. And little details like, you know, when they're when the Atreides are all on their home planet before they leave, everyone's wearing very dark uh, black costuming, and then they get to this desert planet, and now they're all in kind of desert colors, right? Uh, but I did mm-hmm. like how the still suits when they first put them on are very black, but you could tell who had been there and been out in the desert because it was all just tattered and very uh, like dust covered. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciate, you know, small things like that. 
Um, it goes a long way. Um, Max von Sydow, too. I don't know if any of you recognized him uh, with a small role, but uh, he's always, for me, uh, somebody that I like to see. No? No one? No clue. Uh, what role? He was the guy that shows them how the still suit works. Oh, oh okay. Oh, the doctor? Yeah. With the blue eyes? Yeah. Yeah, Max von Sydow. Okay. Yeah, so, you could have said the doctor with blue eyes is Max von Sydow, and I would have gone, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so we kind of talked about the story a little bit and um, the world building. I think that the world building itself actually was pretty good. Um, they they set up the world really well. I liked the, you know, starting right off, there's the political stuff going on where the emperor... Uh, the Emperor of the Known Universe um, is like, all right, look, uh, you know, Sutter Kane over there is getting a little too popular, and I don't like that. So I'm going to set it up so that he and his rival basically try to kill each other. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it seems like a power limiting move towards both of them. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And if you think about uh, somebody with that much power, they're not going to want to give that up. So take your two kind of strongest potential rivals, pit them against each other and get them to basically destroy each other. So I, I like to take some of the wind out of their sails. Right. Well, I just thought that that was, you know, it's interesting way to do political intrigue um, that didn't involve trade federations and blockades. Um, Wasn't it kind of though, how they had, they were trying to stop the flow of spice no, they that was they more needed of a Paul to. Thing. Well, Paul was right, but the thing about it was, is the spice must flow, as they said. So, the emperor knows that because he needs the space uh, guild, right? That's the only way they can travel around. So, whoever controls that planet controls everything. So, rather than letting somebody like. Duke Leto, who's getting gaining popularity amongst the other great houses and amongst the people, possibly overthrow him or take over his position. Um, he pits them against each other because he can keep uh, Harkonnen, you know, kind of in his pocket. I think is the way it's the way that I interpreted everything. So, yep. you know, that to me is some interesting world building because it gives you a sense of kind of what's going on in this world beyond just this one planet. Uh, that there's there's bigger things working in the background. Um, so I personally enjoy One, stuff like that. Th there was a couple things, as far as the world building goes, that seemed like they were kind of MacGuffins thrown in there. I haven't read the book, so that's where most of that comes from. Like, the water of life. It's just this kind of MacGuffin. You drink it, you die, or you don't. Well, that's Which, that's some of the stuff I was talking about earlier with, like, it's Black Panther juice. Well, it's, it's... In a way. It's where they didn't have enough time to build that part of it. So if you don't have the time to build that part up, maybe you figure out a way to just not mention it, right? Because then you don't get the confusion of, like, well, what's this water of life stuff, and why is it there, and what does it do, and how does it work? Mm -hmm. Like, just ax that. It's That's the Tom Bombadil of, uh, of this movie. Like, it's not... It's integral to moving the plot along but you could find a way to do it without that. So, yeah, I mean, there were a few things like that. Um, but I think overall, I think that the, the work to try and build this world, you know, the whole book takes place basically on Arrakis as well. So it's going to be a fairly boring world to look at visually because it's just big sand dunes and rocks. But, um, you know, I think that, that they did a pretty decent job. I, I, did, I do think the movie is a little dark visually just um, oh yeah you know, it had a lot lighting. of yeah a lot of poor lighting it had a lot of uh like it had they used a lot of day for night and that always ends up turning out kind of doesn't quite look right um so you know there were it, this is by no means a perfect movie um but i think what they were trying to accomplish and the ambition of taking on this project and adapting this story they did a damn good job of it um overall uh there's just there's there's things that they could have done better they could have tightened up the story cut out some of the extra stuff um that 
didn't really go anywhere. There were a lot of plot threads that just sort of were either brought in. Well, they were either brought in willy nilly and and uh, not really explained, or they were started and then never finished. Um, I want to know where they kept the pug out in the desert. <laughs> that was my favorite shot of the entire movie. Is right as everything is going on, and there's Patrick Stewart with a gun in one hand and a pug <laughs> under his arm saying, take him out, and charging into battle with this pug under his arm. Like, I laughed out loud at that. That was great. Like, I, I, rem- I I'd completely forgotten about the pug, and then I'm watching this, <laughs> and then the pug shows up later. It's the same dog. Yeah. And I'm like, how did this dog survive out in the desert? Do they make still suits for dogs? <laughs> you know, it's also in the final scene specifically yeah. are very open mouth, snorry yeah. breathers. So they're losing. That's yeah. That's now that another a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Another thing that that I think kind of story wise, world wise, could have been better is the the uh, backstabbing by the doctor Yui. Um, the um, Dean Stockwell's character, the guy with the funky mustache, he he's the Harkonnen's kind of inside man. He's the one that is the traitor. But I did not believe in his treachery because it seems like a really thin reason. And if I, I, Christina, maybe you can talk to that a little bit as to if that's any better in the book or not, because it, it's hard for me to remember. But he he basically betrays Duke Leto to Harkonnen because Harkonnen killed his wife, and this is the only way he can get close enough to kill the Baron? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he suspects that... I mean, she was captured, is what it was, and being tortured. So he his belief was that he could probably save her, but then towards you know how long it took, he just believed that they'd already killed her by this point, which is why he went into revenge mode uh, with the poison tooth. Um, could it, have, so could it I, have been he betrayed him because Harkonnen like said his wife was still alive and if you do this we'll yeah. give we'll let you back that makes a little more sense to me than yeah that would make sense dead. that would make sense if that was in any way what they portrayed on screen which it isn't <laughs> they they gave yeah, you, none you had of maybe that. 10 seconds of trying to figure out what what's going on with that yeah it just it, felt it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me that he's betraying um House Atreides for House Harkonnen, but then the whole thing is just a okay. So you go, you know, you your final breath is going to be the death of him, and well, and that, that's yeah. a it seems yeah. like a pretty big gamble. Yeah, it really was for and, a long play, and it, it the, this movie almost felt like it was someone took the book Dune, got the cliff notes for Dune, and based their script on that. So it was like, okay, at this point in the story, Dr. Yui has to, uh, you know, betray Duke Leto, and then we're going to, you know, this guy's got to betray him so we can do, like, they were just, like, putting in the plot points just to move things along, and that's where I'm saying they, they really needed to try and, like, trim the fat a little bit, cut some of this stuff out. Like, they could have figured out a way to make that betrayal make narrative sense and not feel like it's... Like, there's no reason for it, because the way they portray it in the movie and watching it this time, I'm watching it like, okay, so they they set up, oh, I've got a man on the inside. Okay, that's cool. They set up, hey, okay, it's Dr. Yui. That's fine. But then his whole purpose for doing it, his whole reason doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me while I'm watching it. So now I'm confused, and I'm a little annoyed, and there was a few things like that. Uh, they, I just felt like there were... That's where you need to you need to trim trim your story, adapt it instead of just taking the story and making it into a movie. Adapt the story to fit the medium that you're making it in. But then there's always going to be those whiners who yell about not sticking to the source material. But here's the thing. You can stick to the source material and still adapt it. Peter Jackson and uh, friend, uh, Philippa Boynes and Fran Walsh made that perfectly clear doing uh, Lord of the Rings. They made a lot of changes to those stories, but they kept the overall theme of things. They figured out, okay, what's the important thing we want to tell? What's the story that we're telling? Okay, now we're going to adapt this. We're going to cut some things. We're going to move some stuff around. They would take lines from one character and give it to a different character at a different point so that they could still get those themes across. You can do that. I have hope that 
the new movie of Dune that's going to come out in November of next year can pull this off. I don't know if any of you have heard about that or not, but November, I think it's slated to come out like November 20th, 2020, is uh, Dune being directed by Denis Villeneuve, who most recently did... um, The new Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049, yep. Yep. The only thing I consistently hear about that is like a Reddit post that says some mega star or film legend is joining the movie. Well, right like, now, yeah, it, right now on the page for it, uh, directed by Dennis Villeneuve, you've got um, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, uh, Zendaya um, are all in it. Zendaya? Zendaya, yes, yeah, sorry. I don't, I'd never pronounce that name right. Um, so looks interesting. Um, like I say, it, you know, the guy that's directing it, I mean, he's done some some pretty interesting stuff so far. What was it? Arrival, Sicario, uh, as well as Blade Runner 2049. So I have hopes for it, and I'm hoping that he's not, he's writing the the movie as well. So I'm hoping that they will take some of what didn't work in this movie and really adapt this story properly. Um, I still think it would be better off being multiple movies uh, or a series, but hey, you know, I'll take what I can get. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm holding out hope that it's going to be good, though. Um, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah, I, it's it's a fan, it's a phenomenal story. Uh, I it, it, actually watching this made me want to go read the book again, so I might have to do that because it's been so long since I've read it. Um, I think I'd have to read the book to really get into the story. And there's a lot of them too. If you really want to dive into it, there's several Dune books. Uh, Frank Herbert wrote a bunch, and then I think his son took over and wrote a few more. Um, so there's a there's quite a uh, section of lore that goes with this, but I really, you know, I just want to reread the first book. I want to reread Dune, um, and that's really what this made me made me want to do. So, uh, David, did you notice who did the music for this? Sting. No. Toto. No. Oh, I did see that. I, <laughs> I noticed that at the beginning. Went, huh? And then forgot about it. But here's the funny thing. So the the music was composed by Toto, except for the theme, which was done by Brian Eno. Can you name or remember any bit of music from the movie that wasn't that opening theme? Because I can't. And I think I had, I think I put down a note that it was like an hour something into the movie before I heard any music that sounded like Toto. <laughs> and it just... <laughs> that guitar riff. Yeah, there was a guitar riff. And I was like, huh, okay, there's the Toto music. Um, yeah, r- when he's riding the worm, that was the first time where I felt like I was hearing... Uh, something that wasn't just that opening theme or some variation of that opening theme, which I ha- do have to say, I liked a lot. I really liked that that uh, just epic sounding theme. And I unfortunately, um, I didn't capture that by itself um, because I just thought that that was really cool. Um, and I swear I've heard it some other places before. But uh, yeah, overall, I like the music for this movie. Um, I think you can still find a soundtrack for it somewhere. Um, and you know, given, you know, who's doing Denny Villeneuve's? Uh, it's Howard is it? Shore, isn't it? It's Hans Zimmer. Oh, Hans Zimmer. Sorry. No, I'm just reading. I literally just searched Dune on Reddit, and it's like Josh Brolin, Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa. It's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good stuff. Oh and yeah. It's, I I think just by name alone, I think that'd be a good film. Now I have seen. Um, Frank Herbert's Dune, which was the Dune that came out in 2000 on Sci-Fi Channel. Um, I'm going to assume, David, you haven't seen that, or you you said you might have seen parts of it. I I remember watching something to do with Doom before, okay. and it was not this movie, so I it must have been that. And Keith, have you ever seen that? I remember like staffs with kind of curved blades on the end, but okay. not much other than that. And You're thinking of Klingons. Oh, and I'm sorry. It was three episodes. Christina, did you ever see that? Yep. And okay. also Children of Dune. Yeah. So it that one, three episodes, uh, so it's quite a bit longer. Um, it's able to tell more story. It's starring William Hurt uh, as Duke Leto, Alec Newman. Um, but uh, it had uh, had some interesting uh, – it had Hatchet Harry uh, from uh, Lockstock was Gurney, um, who was a very different – <laughs> a little bit different gurney from uh, Patrick Stewart. I did like Patrick Stewart's gurney, though. He's, he seemed almost like a, especially early on, just like that protective, uh, he was like a protective family dog, almost. 
You know, yeah, anybody but, that. But now I'm imagining Hatchet Harry <laughs> in place of Gurney, and it's it's not quite there. You know, uh, it it actually not worked really character. well. It it did work pretty well. Um, now one thing, so I did like um, William Hurt as Duke Leto, uh, but the Baron Harkonnen in that movie. Um, or that series was Ian McNeese, and uh, you—he's one of those guys that you've seen in things before. Um, he was in, uh, did a couple episodes of Doctor Who as Winston Churchill. Um, he was in Ace Ventura when Nature Calls. He was in—he—he uh, he always plays kind of a, a smaller character, and he's got like seventy-five chins. He's got the biggest <laughs> double chin I've ever seen, but he was a much more he felt just as nasty of a Baron Harkonnen, but I I didn't feel the like skin crawly nasty of the visual of of him uh, so much as just the way he portrayed the character. Um, but the if you get a chance, you should watch the miniseries because again, it goes into more detail. They had the benefit of it being considerably newer, um, so you know advances in optical effects and digital effects and the ability to to have some of that work a little bit better i think that the uh like the eyes the blue eyes i think worked really really well it had better coloring too like it, it just looked it it was a uh, more saturated and a lot more uh visually um looked better visually i think overall than uh, this one did so i definitely recommend checking that out um now here's a question for you so big sci-fi epic right uh comes out in 1984 what did you think uh, if, you, if you kind of compare this to other sci-fi movies of that era, you know, say mid-70s to, like, 90, I mean, how does it kind of fit into that era of science fiction and epic movies to you guys? My immediate comparison is always Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of like the discussion about Ghostbusters, Star Wars is a very different tonal <clears throat> film from this. Star Wars is very much, a, um, you know, space opera. This isn't quite... A space opera, but mm-hmm. that's not it a bad comparison. Stuffier than uh, Star Wars. Well, it definitely takes itself a lot more seriously than Star Wars. Well, it's more more science fiction with hard science versus science fantasy. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, some of the other. I mean, there are other sci-fi movies from kind of this era. Um, I'm trying to think of some titles right now. This would have been obviously it's post Star Wars. It's post like Battlestar Galactica on TV. It's post um, oh, uh, post Star Trek. Yeah, post Star Trek. Post 2001. Uh, um, Crawl I think came out before this. That is a movie that sort of kind of wants to be this the same. Uh, kind of ballpark of movie. Um, it... Yeah, that was in '83, so this would be after. Okay. But again, Kroll falls more into science fan- science fiction fantasy versus hard science. Yeah, but this is um, a lot of fantasy too, with the giant worms and the the spice and all that. Uh, it's not really hard science, I wouldn't and say. Not because I haven't viewed much old film movies like that in the older not old but older um science fiction i still think of the ones i'm thinking of and the ones you're naming i still think star wars is a really good comparison because they still have that they they both sort of have the the past but futuristic yeah sort of thing going on Mm -hmm. uh you know simpler sort of ways of life but very advanced technology they've still got sort of you know monarchies and royalty and not cased systems but uh you know subgroups and guilds and all that stuff so i i I do like the yeah no i i would agree with that there i mean another movie that came out right about the same time as this a couple years earlier but blade runner is a very science fiction movie it's a very different feel because it's only a little bit in the future and it's it's on earth right this is this like star wars is saying this is nothing like earth okay this movie's like we're ten thousand years in the future yeah yeah, um, Star Wars is you know a galaxy far, far away. So a that's, long time ago. I think yeah. that that is a better comparison than some of the other kind of sci-fi-ish movies that would come out around yeah, at like the same time. Two weeks ago, comparing it to Alien, that's like hard future, right? And 
and you know obviously a again a different type of movie it's much more you know the haunted house in space but it's also just tonally different I, that's a case though where i think you get a director that that kind of knows what he wants to do and it almost felt like david lynch had a different idea of how he wanted to go about this movie yeah he wanted it to be five hours long that's true well you know he was he was not the first person to try and make dune um there was an early attempt in like 70 the mid 70s um where let's see if i can find it alejandro uh jodorowsky was going to direct the movie um he was i and i know the name but he was um a pretty well-known kind of visual artist at that time uh what was it yeah so he envisioned salvador dali as the emperor uh orson wells playing baron harkonnen uh would have had another musician would have had mick jagger as fade uh instead of sting um, but udo kier david carradine like very very different idea but okay this is great yeah. the project was ultimately scrapped for several reasons largely because funding dried up when the project ballooned to a 10 to 14 hour epic seems like that's a consistent problem with adaptations of this and well, you could, any you... any adaptation of any good solid book that has a lot of info in it is going to be large epics i mean why do you think there was the game of thrones tv series it would not have made a movie no and neither should this not a single movie you know dino de Laurentiis, who produced this also tried to do um in uh the mid 70s and apparently the they got frank herbert to actually do the script and the first script he turned in was 175 pages long now to give you an idea typically in a movie when you're writing it one page is one minute so the first draft of the script was already almost three hours long and that just wasn't going to happen um apparently oh okay de Laurentiis was going to try and hire ridley scott to do it uh Ooh. probably on the back of alien because it would have been alien, 1979 yeah. Uh, but then he dropped out to end up going on to do Blade Runner. So, you know, I I just, I think in the end, this serves, this this story works better if you can give it more time to build. Uh, and I think that that is ultimately what did this movie in was, it was, you know, to coin a phrase, the script was 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. And it just didn't work. It had too much. And it was spilling out all over the place. And, and the way that presented itself to me, was a super dull, totally uninterested first hour and a half, and then 45 minutes of really fast action, and then it was done. So, yeah, I, I'm i not surprised by that at all. I actually gave myself a note saying, you know, I don't think David's going to be a huge fan of this movie. Um, I, didn't, I didn't hate it. I liked what it was trying to do, but I think... And I, I, was, I was talking with this Christina and actually Zeb the other day. We were talking about it. Um, I watched this, I think, on Wednesday. Um, I was saying, Christina posted, you know, are we watching the three-hour version one or are we watching the theatrical release one? And I was remember thinking about an hour and ten minutes into the movie, there's a three-hour version of this? <laughs> and then the last 45 minutes, I was like, wait, they could have actually used that extra hour. It well, could have actually been beneficial, but if it, if all it was was an hour of extra exposition at the beginning, then it would have been wasted regardless. It's like an extra 15 compared to what they did, and then the rest of it was just scenes that extended the story more, gave you more understanding of where the characters are coming from. Yeah. yeah and and I, it did do a little bit more action and a little bit more fight scenes, but on the whole, it was a little yeah. bit sprinkled in for each point. I've never I've never watched a movie that felt so slow and then so rushed yes. to the point where I finished it and as crazy as it sounds I wanted more like no, I wanted to it, I wanted it, it more like you needed more of and to pay off everything you sat through right yeah, exactly and like you know like I don't even some things were not explained well enough. Some things they explained too much of. Uh, the like floaty emperor, what was it like, knower of all things guy? Oh, it, the uh, uh, the, the butthole guild. face fella. Yeah, um, that's the um, mean the, the guild. Yeah, the guild navigator. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that 
I don't think was explained very well. Um, just certain things didn't feel flushed out and certain things were overdone. And then it hit you in the face with 45 minutes of good music, good fight scenes, uh, passable special effects. Um, and then it was over. And I was like, sort of like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> like watching like an MMA fight where they realize they have to wrap it up, you know? Yeah. Like they're just going for points the first couple rounds and then it's a all out brawl. Yeah. You and spend, then it's done. You spend an hour and five minutes like, all right, when is the story going to pick up? Wait, it's over that quickly like yeah. it's i i get what you're yeah, saying it's over. no definitely it there were parts that they took they took time to explain and they probably could have trimmed some of that and then there's parts where they just rush through things um, yeah or <laughs> another analogy could be you know spending thousands of dollars on a front row seat ticket for a fight you know spending a couple days to get there taking the time off to watch this fight you've been looking forward to and it's a 30 second knockout. Yeah. And nothing happens. Some drawn out undercard fights and then uh, yeah. And then the uh knockout. And then the title fight is a one hit KO yeah. instantly. Uh now um you know one of the things I like to think about is okay, how does the movie hold up over time and could you make this movie today? Obviously we know they can make the movie today cuz they are making the movie right now. We will find out, won't we? <laughs> we'll find out how is that well they out do this it. year or next year. Next year. Next year. So they're still okay. a year away. Um, but and, uh, uh, how well they do it, and if it's going to be split into multiple movies, yeah, this that's would be also a good one to do a trilogy out of. It would, it would. This is a perfect idea. Do another or, Lord of the Rings. Yep, just film them all at three, once. Three hour movies. And see, that's the thing. So a three hour movie. Ouch. <laughs> you know, a three hour, three and a half hour movie. I love the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings, but there wasn't a lot of, um. There wasn't a lot of points in that where it drug along, and there wasn't a lot of points in that where it felt too rushed. You know, a lot had... of the extensions in those were all like political, though. They were, and it was a lot of. Uh, you can watch the theatrical versions, and you don't miss anything by not seeing the extended editions. The extended cuts of those movies are more for kind of the super fans and the people that just want more context. This, mm -hmm. I just. It was even even the three hour version. I can't see it really making it that much better because it's still unless I don't know. I'd have to. I I may have to watch it at some point. I may have to suffer through that to because I could watch the this again. I watch. There's no suffering. I have a beverage and pseudo pay attention. Yeah, I and I would watch this again. Um, obviously, I've watched it more than once, but um, or at least. I remember watching it and apparently saw the TV cut, but uh, I just think that I think that it's a it's an interesting story, and I think that this was a big ambitious project that just didn't quite pull it off. Like even little things, like his he meets that girl, she asks him one thing, he remembers her from his dream, and then the next time you see the two of them on screen together, they're just and making out, and yeah, yeah, it's like uh, wait a minute, we missed. Did we miss a chapter here? Did, yes, it was did, part of the like, extended. Did, he, did, did he at I, least take did I fall her out asleep? to dinner? Yeah, it's like, did I fall asleep for 15 minutes and miss part of the movie? Uh, which actually, I didn't fall asleep and miss part of a movie, but that has happened to me before in a theater when I saw um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. This was back before everything was digital, and the theater put the film together and missed a reel. So there was literally 20 <laughs> minutes of that movie. There was 20 minutes of that movie that didn't that didn't exist when we saw it. But what was funny about it is we came out of the movie and all of us were like, wow, it felt like that should have been a longer movie. And then we found out that they were missing a reel and we're like, oh, we just figured it was a Robert Rodriguez movie and it wasn't supposed to make sense. So, <laughs> touche, touche. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, no, I, I am looking forward to this new version. Uh, I'd like to see an updated Dune um, because I think it's a story that is worth telling. Um so, okay, the the planet, I, I did capture some audio, and I kind of want to play some of this for you guys um, because, you know, this movie has a few kind of neat um, things. Now, there was the opening narration, um, and... Uh, oh, I that did... was neat? <laughs> we interpreted that differently. Well, okay, so that's not the neat audio there, jackass, but um, <laughs> the opening narration, uh, you know, they've got a lot to set up, 
uh, and it's basically why Virginia Madsen is in the movie. But, um, you know, they, of course, they do a title drop right at the beginning talking about Arrakis and Dune. But what I want you to, to hear is hear the way she says the name of the planet. Um, so here's that. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Arrakis. Arrakis. Yeah, Arrakis. Okay. Now it's spelled with an A, and everyone else in the movie pronounces it Arrakis, except, except for one time when Duncan pronounces it like this. Arrakis. Arrakis. <laughs> Was nobody like, um, hang on, can we can we do that one again? Can, can you what say? Is that? Can, can you but say? That? They don't keep saying it differently from everybody else, so it's just kind of a, it it, it almost clicked, but I'm like, okay, maybe he just. You know, it, it almost sounds like an organic, like one of those organic mispronunciations, putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Right, but the, okay, Arrakis, Arrakis, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're hearing that. He says, Arrakis. Arrakis. Yeah, that's not an emphasis. That's a wrong pronunciation. He's, he's just, he's talking about a whole different planet. That's actually the planet next door. Um, <laughs> and, okay, uh, this this one came about early on um Paul, when he's having his dream, and he keeps saying this over and over, and then he says it again um, one last time, and it was it was this. Arrakis. Dune. Desert planet. So we've just heard three different characters pronounce the name of the planet three different ways. Mm-hmm. So there was... Two of them pronounced Dune differently as well. Yeah, Dune. that's true. Dune. Dune. It's a very liquid U. Um, here's an example. Okay. I'm going to play this audio, and then I want to I want to say something about it. But listen to this first. Forgive me. They must have killed her. Now, that just sounds like somebody saying two different lines, right? Back to back. Mm-hmm. That was the case I was talking about earlier. The first line, forgive me, she's saying to Yui, to the Dean Stockwell character. The second part of it, they must have killed her, was inner monologue. But you can tell, A, a you can tell they were recorded you know, in the same recording booth, but it just sounds like, you know, there's no distinction between the two. I'd like, if you're going to do that, give some kind of a distinction so the audience can sort of figure that out. It just was a little tough to follow sometimes, especially when you have... Make the inner monologue sound like it's coming through a tin can or something. I don't know. Well, especially when when you're going to have characters in the movie and in your story that are telepathic and that can read minds. So if they're doing that, if you have that ability, then you need to have some sort of a distinction between what's in your brain and what's coming out your mouth. And this maybe that was like intentional. Morgan Freeman and just had him narrate everybody's <laughs> inner monologue. You know, so it's Morgan Freeman saying something, but you've got a shot of the person's face who's thinking it. I mean, that would work, but maybe, I I do think it was intentional, David. I, I will agree with that. That seems like something. Maybe they want you to think they're talking to each other in your head. Yeah, then that that would be something David Lynch would probably do. Um, so you're probably right there. Now, this was uh, when they're discussing the still suits and how they work. Um, I just like this line. The reclaimed water circulates to catch pockets from which you can drink through this tube at your neck. Urine and feces are processed in the thigh pads. <laughs> just uh, just going to gloss over that part of it. <laughs> Urine and feces are processed in the thigh pads. Urine and feces. Yeah. That was Max von Sydow, by the way. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I titled this one Sounds Dirty. Um, this was uh, when they meet the Fremens, and the Fremens decide that they can have sanctuary, and then they tell them this. Your water shall mingle with our water. <laughs> so, uh, what you talk about there, Put pal? it in our water. <laughs> yeah. Um, is this a euphemism? Right, exactly. Uh, of course, a lot of talk about spice in this movie. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice expands consciousness. The spice is vital to space travel. That was part of your uh, your favorite opening. But yeah, the spice is talked about a lot there. Uh, okay, what did you guys think of that uh, that ability that the Bene Gesserits had uh, with the voice? 
That was actually a good voice uh, effect. I re- I liked that. Um, I'd like to have that ability. <laughs> so oh, the like what they call it weirding. Yeah, the weird. Well, weird. It, part of it, but yeah, the 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 voice where you troll other people. Yeah, the weirding is, uh, I think, just the the kind of catch all for all of what they could do. But the voice was a was a specific part of it. Um, but. I liked that ability. I thought that was really cool. I also liked the way it sounded in the movie, and I did capture one little bit of that. Um, this would have been the mother, Jessica, when they're on the ship um, being taken out into the desert, uh, and it sounded a little like this. There's no need to find out from me. Sounds more demonic now than it did in the movie, but... Yeah, a little. if you take that out of context, it does sound a little more demonic, but I liked... Not only changing and modulating the voice itself, but then the way the echo was done and the way it was, the echo was slowed down as well as modulated. I just think it was creepy, um, which it, I'm pretty sure was supposed to kind of be creepy. So, you know, that worked for me. Um, the most famous line probably from the book and from the movie uh, or any adaptation of it, and even people who have never read Dune will say, The spice must flow because the spice yeah. must flow. Um, I've, I've heard that before, and I have heard he who controls the spice controls the universe. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, of course... The spice must flow it, in different places I've worked has generally uh, <laughs> been used as a, a way to say it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter. We just have to do the thing. Yeah, it's got to happen. The spice must flow. Uh, I know I use it uh, occasionally. Um I also liked, I just caught this, I captured this because I thought it was fun. Um, it was when uh, when the Bene Gesserit um, Reverend Mother, or whatever she was, uh, is testing him with the box. And she sits him down and opens it up, and then he says, Oh, what's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Oh, sorry, wrong one. He said this. What's in the box? But it would have been better if he said it the way Brad Pitt did. Yeah, I, that was my first thought also. <laughs> Of course it is. Anybody that's seen Seven is going to think that. Um, Here, I thought you were going to do, here's the mic. <laughs> you know, I I like that line a lot. I just couldn't, none of the spots where it was where it was said struck me as something that I should capture. That is a great passage in the book, though, and I, I always remember that. So I probably should have captured that in hindsight. But I... And there's the, the nice little added treat that they did for the uh, Mentat. Mentat, what the saying? What now? Uh, the uh, what the Mentat say? They it was only said in the in the movie. It may have actually only been, um, but it's uh, oh about the stain and yeah, the stain in the lips uh, from the juice. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. By my will alone, I set my mind. In- yes. Yep. No, that was that was interesting. Um, right. So, uh, all right. This is the part of the show where uh, we render our final judgment or a verdict on the movie. Um, so we'll go around the table. I want to hear what you guys thought of it. Um, and I'm going to start with Keith as a movie. What did you think of Dune? Kind of meh. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of, it, it's one of those older movies that just didn't hold up very well. So, you know, if somebody else wants to watch it, I'm not going to, you know, protest watching it, but I'm not going to actively seek watching it out. It was decent. Okay. Uh, Christina, your thoughts on the movie? Well, I mean, this is another movie that's right up my alley, so I always enjoy it, and I recommend it to anybody that wants fun, a little more taking uh, itself serious type of sci-fi movie. Okay. I put it right up there with the seriousness of 2001. All right. And David, your first time seeing the movie, what did you think of it? Uh, I, I'm, I'm on the level with Keith. Um, wasn't bad. Wasn't great. Um, not going to seek it out. Definitely not going to watch the extended edition. (laughs) Um, however, I can handle lots of information much better in book form. The book might be something I want to reach out. Um, great music. Um, it had that same sort of cheese that a lot of eighties acting had. Mm hmm. Uh, so I was huge on the acting in every respect. The effects did not hold up well, as opposed to a lot of other movies from that time. Um, I'll, I'll agree with the shield. Uh, 
the shield around the base or the ones they wore when they fought each other because that Let's was just go with yes ones, which this was the the one of the first movies to use human cg shaped at that time ah hmm. okay huh. okay well that's interesting um uh, but i did like a lot of the practical effects um i always like practical effects yeah basically because even badly done practical effects can still get me going like oh that's you can tell they actually did that and i respect that even if it doesn't fit like the worms in this you could tell the sand was small like when they would come out of the sand the sand didn't have any weight to it you could tell that was small but they still you could tell that they were really working and the way they always had the worms very dimly lit Mm -hmm. and you could tell they wanted that scale but you know some things you know you can't make sand cooperate at a small scale like it does at a large scale and i'm sure there would have been better ways to do that one thing i really liked though with the practical effects was whenever the worms were under the sand Mm -hmm. i thought that was really cool yeah every time they were out of the sand it lost a little magic um uh six out of ten okay all right. Didn't love it, didn't hate it. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I think I, I love the story. Um, I, like I say, it made me want to go. It makes me want to go read the book again. Uh, maybe watch the sci-fi miniseries again. Um, I think that this had a lot of potential and it was very ambitious, but they just weren't quite able to pull it off. And while I don't dislike David Lynch in any way, I don't think he was the right choice to write and direct this. In hindsight, I just. I think his filmmaking sensibilities just didn't quite match up to what this story needs. But uh, it didn't feel like a David Lynch movie to me. It felt like David Lynch light. Like there were parts of it that felt David Lynch like, but the whole on the mm. whole, it did not. No. Um, but I I would say that uh, you know if somebody wants to see the movie i would recommend it just go into it knowing what you're going to see it's not going to be it's not going to be star wars it's not going to be quite that action-packed um but uh you know you can still have fun with this movie um kind of like what you guys both said uh you know it's not something that you're that maybe i would seek out to you know i'm going to rewatch it every couple of years but if it's on or somebody wants to watch it I i will yeah I think, and I didn't think of this before, I think Christina hit the nail on the head with 2001 Space Odyssey. I think that's the most apt comparison. Yeah. Pacing-wise, I can definitely get that, too. Like, this was a movie that wanted to, to slow build, slow burn. Well, it had that, it had that grand feel to it. That, that epic feel, there yeah. There was a grand yeah. feel to it, and it, there's a certain level of taking itself seriously, and it, it, it almost seems professional, I don't know if that's the right word. I'm not um, sure what you mean by that exactly, but like film school like, student, yeah, trying to take you know, themselves like, seriously. Okay. Well, um, kind of like the difference between say seeing Mc, seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show on stage or seeing Macbeth on stage. There's a certain professionalism that goes into uh, even the acting. I kind of, I, I can, I can kind of see what you're getting. There's an earnestness to something. That's like this. the word word yeah yeah um you know i get i get that well excellent uh first of all i want to thank all three of you for uh joining me this week um this for me i think was kind of a fun movie to do because it had been so long since i saw it uh and it was almost like watching it for the first time uh for me for david it I was, was gonna say a lot of your reactions felt like a first time reaction yeah and like i say i know i've seen it but there were just parts of it's it that has been didn't... long enough yeah, it's been long enough, and there were parts of it that uh, that I didn't remember at all. So uh, it was interesting overall. Um, was one of those parts the heart plug? Mm, yeah, I don't remember that. You saw the TV cut then? Okay. Originally. Well, that must be. Because that was one thing that was cut out of the of the TV. That was a scene cut. that didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but... I think it was just a way for the Harkonnen to have a trump card over you. Yeah, and it was a way to just show how ruthless he could be. And what they were going to do, you know, what the heart plug meant when they brought it up with the, uh, uh, what was his name? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Atreides dude with the giant eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. 
Eyebrows McGillicuddy. I don't remember his name. Those, those eyebrows were something else, though. You could eyebrows. You could Just land like the a red jet lips, on it's those. It's a trademark of. Just like the red lips, it's a trademark of the Mentats. Oh, yeah. No, it totally is. But, man, those things, I mean. Yeah, they were huge. <laughs> those, are, like, those were big by big eyebrow standards. Like, you know, I always thought that uh, the the one dude in uh, Gladiator had some big eyebrows, but pff, he got nothing. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm not sure what movie we're doing next week, uh, but I will definitely be posting... Uh, Posting on Twitter at TV's Travis when uh, when I do decide uh, what movie we're going to watch, um, and uh, you know that you can also go to TV'sTravis.com to find the show uh, wherever you get podcasts, whether it be Apple or Google. Um, go to the website and uh, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts too. If you're listening to this, and uh, go to the website and and uh, leave a comment, uh, comment about a movie maybe you want us to watch, or um, comment on something that we've already done. Um, uh, whatever. I mean, just, you know, let us know what you think. Um, feedback is always appreciated. And, uh, yeah, uh, one more time, I want to thank uh, Keith. Welcome. And uh, Christina. Always happy to be here. And David. Uh, I will continue being the movie virgin. <laughs> thank you for having me. You're, yeah, you're... there's a few that I have in the list that I haven't seen. So yeah. It's not like I've seen okay. every movie. Okay. Most of all. If I've uh, seen 10 movies, you've seen 500. Yeah. That's about the ratio we're dealing with. Oh, that's okay. Eventually, we're going to find a movie you've seen. Uh, so we've got a few of those on the list, too. But uh, until next time, this has been Wait, You Haven't Seen. And uh, enjoy your movie. Spice must flow.